This is an AMI podcast. Hello there, I'm Stephen Scott, blind tech user and host of Double Tap Canada on AMI-audio. Think you know everything there is to know about assistive tech? (laughs) I thought I did, but every day I'm learning something new on our show. We do in-depth features on new accessible technology apps and gadgets, all in one convenient podcast package. Isn't technology wonderful? Give us a try. Find Double Tap Canada on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Access to safe and affordable housing has been identified as a key social determinant of health. For a long time, advocates have pointed to a deepening housing crisis across the country, following the divestment of the federal government from housing. Cities like Toronto and Vancouver are held up as prime examples of overheated and unaffordable housing markets. Low-income Canadians, including people with disabilities, are often excluded from homeownership. Rising rents, negligent landlords, and overcrowded shelters are all common features of a system in peril. The National Housing Strategy provides an opportunity for Canada to seriously reinvest in housing, including purpose-built rental and other forms of supportive housing. Today, we discuss the importance of affordable housing. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joyita Gupta and I'm the host of the program. It's great to be with you today and I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're keeping safe and staying well. Just a quick reminder, if you'd like to follow up with any of the AMI-audio coverage related to the pandemic, you can visit ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. We're talking about affordable housing today, and we have two guests on the program. In the second half of the show, we'll hear from a student at Carleton University, Leif Harris, who will discuss his experiences with housing and his part in a research project that's taking place at Carleton University. But first, my guest today and right now is Jacqueline Canelli who is an associate professor at the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Carleton University. Jacqueline is a co-researcher at a new study which looks at the impact of different types of affordable housing on a resident experience. Jacqueline, welcome to The Pulse. It's so great to have you on the program. Thank you very much. So just to give us a bit of context before we even get into talking about your research, what is the National Housing Strategy? So the National Housing Strategy was uh, established by the Trudeau government in under their last um, you know, period in power. I think it was around uh, 2016 that they announced it. And it was uh, the first federal meaningful investment in housing in about 30 years since mm-hmm. the liberal government under Jean Chrétien pulled out of housing in the uh, 1990s. And... What One of the things that was significant about the national housing strategy was the fact that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau went so far as to say that housing is a human right. Were you, was a human right. Were you surprised by that? I wasn't surprised. I was pleased. There had been a lot <laughs> of pressure and, and a lot of discussion in the housing sector and the academic um, housing sector, as well as in the, the not-for-profit and, and the advocacy organizations 
about understanding housing as a human right. You know, currently mm-hmm. the UN Rapporteur for Adequate Housing is a Canadian lawyer. She, she lives in Ottawa, Lailani Farha, and I know she was doing advocacy around ensuring that we view it this way. Um, so, yeah, I think that was really important. The problem, though, is uh, how to protect it. You know, stating that it's mm-hmm. a human right, it, it, that doesn't change the fact it's always been a human right, or at least since the UN Declaration on Human Rights. Uh, but it doesn't matter if it's stated as a human right if there's nothing done by the state, by government, to protect that right. And, and that's it's good that the federal government named it that, um, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee mm-hmm. that it will be treated that way. Exactly. Um, there's, of course, some investments uh, that accompanied the announcement, and we'll turn to that in just a minute. But, you know, uh, when we think about the housing crisis in Canada, if we can call it, that. Typically, what we're thinking about is Toronto and Vancouver. And there's very good reason for why those two cities stand out for being particularly unaffordable. But uh, you live in Ottawa and you work in Ottawa. What's the situation like in your city? How affordable or unaffordable is the housing? Uh, What's the state of homelessness in your city? So homelessness in Ottawa has been steadily rising as it has been across most of Canada. The composition of homelessness has shifted and has shifted in ways that we should be alarmed by. For instance, the fastest rising category of uh, people who are homeless in the last few years has been uh, families. So family homelessness Mm -hmm. um, has become, uh, you know, one of the the major drivers of the numbers of homelessness uh, in Ottawa. Um, My focus, as we'll discuss, is on youth homelessness. you know, what I, I should also say is it's actually really difficult to get accurate numbers of how many people are homeless because mm-hmm. uh, we rely on statistics that come from shelters and not everyone who is homeless um, makes contact with the shelter. Uh, there, there are lots of different ways in which um, they might uh, figure out ways to get by staying with friends or sleeping under a bridge or whatever it might be, moving from, from place to place, couch surfing and never touch base with the shelter. But what we know from the shelter numbers, at least for young people, is that we have between 850 and 1,000 young people connecting with shelters uh, in any given year uh, in Ottawa. And uh, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head for adult homelessness, but it's it's higher Mm -hmm. than that. I would imagine. And as you said, probably underreported because there's so much invisible homelessness that we're not really able to track with the tools that we have at our disposal. Let's turn our attention to your research. Uh, You mentioned that you're working with homeless youth and trying to research their experience. What more can you tell us about your research? Yeah, so this is part of a national project. I am the co-investigator alongside several other colleagues. The uh, lead investigator is out in Cape Breton, and then we have colleagues in uh, Saskatchewan and British Columbia and Quebec. Um, So we're all working together on the project, but one piece of it, there are national components, but then there are also regional components. So I'm the lead of the Ontario Regional Focus, and uh, very more specifically than that, I'll be conducting research in Ottawa Um, with young people who have left homelessness and are now in different types of affordable housing. The focus overall of the research is to try and fill a pretty significant gap in knowledge, which is um, the question of what types of affordable housing um, create the best outcomes for people. We Mm -hmm. we really don't know. And currently what happens if a government uh, is able to get their hands on money to put towards affordable housing 
uh, the way in which that money is used is somewhat arbitrary. Uh, there's no kind of evidence base to guide their decisions. So they might mm-hmm. decide they'll, they'll use it for uh, portable housing. Well, housing benefit tends to come from federally, but municipally, they're usually called rent supplements, which mm-hmm. means that someone can take that money if it's portable and take it into the private market and use it to subsidize private rent or they might put it into building uh, public housing that's that's specifically made to be uh, affordable and to be um, you know managed in the public interest not a, a private for-profit enterprise and so mm-hmm. the the focus of the research is trying to understand when young people specifically in Ottawa and different sites are looking at different demographics uh, when they land in a different, say, social housing versus a rent supplement in the private market, um, how does that shape their experiences? Uh, and even more than that, you know, what role, as you mentioned at the beginning, we know that housing is a really important uh, factor in protecting uh, someone's health, um, but it's it's uh, necessary but not sufficient. So what are the other factors that allow or disallow young people to thrive once once they're housed. This might be a very nitty-gritty question, but I hope you'll humor me. When you say housing affordability, how are you measuring affordability? Is it as a as a something that's related to the uh, the average rent in an area or are you looking at affordability in terms of income? What is your your indicator for what affordable actually means? Yeah, so in Canada we tend to use when we talk about housing affordability, we tend to use the the SAPSCAN definition. Um, of it, it can be no more than 30% of a person's income. So it mm-hmm. is somewhat earmarked to income, and of course you can make um, more generalized statements depending on an average income in a particular neighborhood, that kind of thing. But uh, for a particular individual, it has to do with how much money they bring in and how much they are then putting into uh, housing. When we talk about youth homelessness, when we're talking about youth in particular, we're talking about a group with very diverse experiences, people dealing with addictions, people who've left home early because of abuse, people with mental health issues. How are you accounting for that diversity of experience in your research? It's an excellent point. Uh, There's a broad range of experiences and and backgrounds and demographics. So the... uh, one of the things, so it's a five-year project, and actually the first year of the project, we're going to spend having discussions and doing training and um, building relationships between uh, us and the community partners and the, the co-researchers, and you'll be speaking with Leif shortly, who's a co-researcher. And part of what we're going to be doing this year is talking about recruitment uh, in order to ensure that we uh, have that wide range of representation in the study. So we have community partners, um, both nationally and locally. In Ottawa, you know, um, we're partnered with the Youth Services Bureau, uh, as well as Ottawa Community Housing, which runs the social housing here, um, as well as uh, CCOC, which is Central uh, Town Citizens Ottawa Corporation, they're not-for-profit housing. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be working with those partners to help us with recruitment um, and as well as the City of Ottawa, which maintains the centralized wait list. And one of one piece of the research um, that was required, but is also uh, just in keeping with the approach of the researchers, is um, what's called Gender-Based Analysis Plus. Mm-hmm. And so if you've heard of that term, GBA Plus, it's basically, you know, that we can't just assume 
everyone's experience is the same, but we need to look at factors like gender, disability, sexuality, indigeneity, uh, race, ethnicity, migration status, all of those pieces in order to um, you know, actually be able to answer the, the, research question, the research questions properly. So we'll be developing that over the course of the coming year. Sounds like it's going to be a work in progress and five years, we would hate to lose track of your work. How do we uh, keep on top of what you're doing? And is there a website that you could direct us to? Yeah, there isn't a project website yet. Uh, I do have, I run a research center. It's called the Center for Urban Youth Research and the website is urbanyouthresearch.ca and uh, we'll be posting updates there. Uh, and then once we get a project website, I'll, I'll definitely link it to um the Research Center's website, so that would be another way to find it. Wonderful. Uh, Jacqueline Kennelly, thank you so much for speaking to us today on the program. It sounds like a wonderful initiative, and I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, speaking with you about it. My name is Juwetha Gupta, and in the first half of the program today, you heard from Jacqueline Kennelly, who is a professor at the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Carleton University. She spoke to us about some of her research that looks at the effect of different types of affordable housing on resident experiences. And right now, I'm joined by a student and researcher at Carleton University, also in the Department of Anthropology. I'm very pleased to welcome Leif Harris to the program. Leif, welcome to The Pulse. It's really great to have you with us. Thank you very much. So your job description says that you are a co-researcher or a co-investigator. What does your role entail? So my role, from what I know so far, is that we're going to be developing interview questions for youth that are homeless, that have exited into stable housing. And mm -hmm. our, our job is to frame those questions so they relate to how their experience is with the new housing and what they're missing or if it's better or if it's worse and depending on what type of housing they're in. Mm -hmm. So for instance, it could be a group home and it could be stable, but there might be things that they don't find um, mm -hmm. at, at, a, at a great point of quality. Right. So tell me a little bit about uh, some of the ways in which homelessness presents specific challenges for youth in Ottawa. So give us a few examples of how you might be young and you might be dealing with homelessness. What are some of the challenges that come up? Well, there's a lot. For one, if you're homeless, you don't really have an address so you can apply for it. Well, it's not really, you don't need it for it to apply for jobs, but it, it like from my experience, um, people that are homeless, mm -hmm. including myself when I was, um, mm -hmm. it was very difficult to maintain a job not knowing where you're going at the end of the night. Um, you don't really have a safe place, which is huge in terms of mental health and physical health, as well as spiritual and emotional health. Mm -hmm. um, it's very difficult to feel a sense of confidence or, or any sort of, um, what's the word, like, like you don't really feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And I think that's a big aspect mm -hmm. to it. Yeah, like a sense of belonging, right? Exactly. You know, one of the things I was talking to Jackie about in our part of the conversation was the fact that there are so many barriers. And she was talking about taking on a gender-based analysis and looking at things like gender and race and indigeneity. How are those factors coming into play when we discuss youth homelessness? Well, youth homelessness, definitely, um, usually people that are coming from other countries are, are, are higher chance of becoming homeless than, than people that have when born here. Um, I also know that uh, there are a lot of barriers in terms of finding housing, someone to co-sign for a lease, um, 
usually there's a lot of people that are on the registry for subsidized housing because they can't afford housing. Mm-hmm. The housing market is very expensive in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And they usually ends up with, with, uh, I think it's seven to nine years is the average wait time to get a, uh, a subsidy through the city, which is a very right. long time to be homeless. It is, and a very and a lot of things can happen to you in seven and nine to nine years when you're still waiting for a safe place to call home. When you think about many of the things that a young person might want to do. Uh, go to school, college or university, uh, maybe start a family, maybe it could be undertake a full-time employment. What are some of the hurdles that you've noticed in terms of just not having an address and not having somewhere that you can call home? It definitely, it definitely feels like like impossible at times. Like I remember when I was homeless, um, I, I always wanted to go to university. I had the grades and everything when I was in high school, mm-hmm. but I didn't really have a safe place. And how it's hard to maintain priorities when you're constantly on the go uh, from mm-hmm. one place to another, not sure if you can stay there or not. And mm-hmm. just even just to cook meals and things like that, like it can be very challenging. And it's uh, it's frustrating, too, because it's not like it was your fault that you're homeless. Exactly. Well, for me, it wasn't. But yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you think your role is going to be in the research. You, you've you've had a lived experience of homelessness, and do you think that's going to help participants feel a little more at ease with the research? This is my hope. I, I think mm. so. I mean, from my experience, when I was, I did a lot of like I was a research participant in a lot of different uh, projects and stuff, like making the shift and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, it always it always felt more like a peer that I was talking to when it was someone that had lived experience. And I like that aspect a lot. And I think it's really cool that Jackie's implementing that because, um, my, yeah, like I said, my hope is, is that that's the case. I don't know how other individuals feel, but I, I generally sense uh, feel a sense of relation in that sense. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, a lot of landlords understand the challenges related to being young and dealing with homelessness? I mean, a lot of students, uh, even those who may not have had a prior history of homelessness, talk about how landlords are reluctant to, to rent to them. They feel that students don't have a stable source of income. They're all just out to party and they'll wreck the place. Do you feel that discrimination is a factor in youth homelessness? I do. I do feel like that's a, that's a factor for sure. Um, I was lucky because my, my landlord is an organization that I got a subsidy mm-hmm. through. But I do feel in many cases that it's very challenging for youth to find housing because of the because of landlords. And and I'm not saying all landlords are bad or not bad, are uh, are discriminating against youth, but, but it definitely seems like a large fraction of them are. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I wonder about is whether by the same token, young people might also find it difficult to keep housing. I mean, one of the examples I had, I was giving a workshop on tenants rights uh, at uh, the University of Toronto, because that's my other job. And one of the things that came up was, well, I've signed this one year lease. And now I guess I have to leave because the lease is over at the end of the year, right? And I just had to say, no, no, you can stay for as long as you want. The lease automatically renews. So do you feel that a lot of young people just don't know their rights and therefore get taken advantage of? That's very true. Unfortunately, that is the case in a lot of, like I know a lot of friends that have had these issues. Um, I find that it, it can be very unstable when you don't know about the laws or the tenant acts or anything like that about how mm-hmm. or, or why you can stay. Right, exactly. Because the law isn't exactly written for ordinary people like us to figure out, right? Like legalese is basically its own language. (laughs) Um, Do you 
do you feel as well that there's some room in the research to talk about the ways in which uh, young people, uh, but just tenants in general, are organizing? I know, thinking back to Ottawa, there's um, a lot of attention being paid to the Herringate Tenants Association and how much they've been pushing back against their landlord and the developer. Uh, do you feel that there's some scope to talk about some tenant activism here as well? Yeah, no, totally. I actually have a friend that, that does a lot of that stuff with Herring Coalition. Um, I think I think there's a lot of well, it's uh, just trying to put my head around it. Um, it's definitely a challenging area in terms of landlords, mm-hmm. um, and it's also lower income, and it, it, it's it's frustrating in a lot of ways. I used to live in that area. Um, I think I think a lot of tenants are are using a lot of tools to not fight back but but stand up for their rights and some of it can be a little drastic and some of it not so drastic and I think that when you find the balance it's best. Mm -hmm. So then talk to me a little bit about this research it is in fact a tool that we're giving tenants right especially when we involve them and young people particularly in the research how do you see this involvement with the research empowering the participants who who undertake it? My idea I, I feel that a big part of it is that we're letting them become part of the solution and, mm-hmm. and also um, providing resources and and support for them. Not not a lot of support, like like not all everything, but some support that can benefit them and also benefit people, young people in the future. Mm-hmm. A couple of minutes back, you mentioned Make the Shift. And I know the director of Make the Shift is Leilani Farah, who has done a lot of work around the financialization of housing. And one of the things Leilani talks about is how housing has really become a commodity and less a, a place that people choose to call home, a place where people can live and raise a family. Do you think that your research is going to contribute to changing people's perception of what it is to have housing? That's my goal. Like, really, like, 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 because it, it is a very, it, there's a lot that goes on with it. And there's a lot of factors, but I think that in the end, a lot of people think of it as a, a lot of people think that it's a privilege, but really it, it's, it's, it's almost like a right, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what Justin Trudeau was saying when he announced the national housing strategy, right? He said, housing is a human right. And everyone was like, wow, that was the prime minister who just said it. Uh, you said you experienced a period of homelessness, but now you're in stable housing. What has that meant to you? What has having access to a stable place to call home meant for Leif Harris? Since I got the place two weeks after I got a job, um, wow. three weeks after I, I applied for university and got accepted, um, I've come from a very low area uh, from before mm-hmm. when I was homeless to now I'm doing my second year in anthropology. I'm part of two different committees, one with GEO, one with uh, Schizophrenia Society of Canada. I'm going to be part of this research project and I'm, I'm doing school and, and I'm, I'm also more active in my community, which is definitely benefits everyone in my opinion. I would have to agree with you. Leaf, congratulations for everything you've managed to accomplish. I'm so delighted to have had the chance to speak to you, and I'm looking forward to the research and to seeing what you are able to accomplish. Thanks a lot for being on the program today. Thank you very much for having me. 
That was student and researcher who is now a second year anthropology student, Leif Harris at Carleton University. It was such a pleasure getting to know Leif and before him speaking to Jacqueline Canelli about some of the research that's taking place in Ottawa as part of a larger national project. The research is looking at the impact of affordable housing on various types of resident experiences, whether it's health outcomes, employment and education outcomes. And one of the things that I'm so pleased about as someone who's worked in the housing and homelessness sector is the fact that the that they're really trying to be participatory and involve the voices of people, of youth experiencing housing and homelessness, because they are the experts. There's a misperception, I think, that lawyers and advocates are the experts when it comes to housing. But I think there is nothing that could be further from the truth. There is a lot that can be done to remedy our housing situation in this country. Our shelter system was never supposed to be a response or a solution to homelessness. It is at best a Band-Aid solution, and our shelter system is often bursting at the, the seams. So what the National Housing Strategy does is commit us to building affordable housing, investing in affordable housing, looking at some of those portable rent supplements as a way to give people a path into housing stability. If you missed any of my conversation today, either with Leaf or with Jacqueline Canelli before, you can always find the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. I also want to remind you about our show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'll make sure to put a link to any applicable resources and you'll have a few additional comments from me there as well. I'd like to thank Jacqueline Canelli and Leaf Harris for being on the program today. Thanks also go out to AMI's content development specialist, Karen McGee, who sent this story our way. Our technical producer for The Pulse is Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Paula Deneen is our audio technical supervisor and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. I'd like to thank you for listening and being a part of the conversation. If you have any feedback for us, you can write us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI or you can find me on Twitter at Shoeita Gupta. Please do follow me and I'd be happy to follow you back and we can try and keep the conversation going online as well. Feel free to write us a quick email, feedback at AMI.ca or you can give us a call at one 1- 866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And do let us know if we have your permission to use the audio on the program. Thanks a lot for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.